0: Three, two, one, and we are back. Hey, Julie, welcome to Friday, July 17th. Yes.
1: made it through another week. How about that?
0: <laughs> we <laughs> not that how it feels for
1: 2020?
0: Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, so Great. Julie discovered something. You know, we're coming up with the list of the craziest things about 2020. And of course, you guys have your own lists. And there's a list that all of us share, the pandemic and the depression and the whatever, whatever. But Julie discovered something yesterday, which was just, I thought she was making it up until she sent me proof. And it was, Julie. Are you talking about the flying snakes? The flying snakes. Oh, my
1: gosh like I don't know how I missed this story I guess it's because it's so much to keep up with this year and apparently there's a type of snake that uh, lives in the trees and can actually on purpose <laughs> fling itself from tree to tree up to 40 feet and so much so it likes flying so much that it actually undulates in the air like it knows what it's doing so there you have it and I also know that I happen to know because I've researched just in case because you know it's 2020 uh, did we have any snakes here in Puerto Rico? And there is one kind of snake that lives in uh, the jungle for the most part that actually hangs out over caves and catches bats to eat as they emerge from the caves.
0: Well, so mental because no- why not? Mental notes: There, a, don't go to caves. <laughs> B, snakes are gross. B, if you do have to go to a cave, don't look like a bat.
1: There you are. Those
0: are my big two takeaways from that. By the way, I don't know if you guys knew this. Um, Puerto Rico has the largest rainforest and one of the largest rainforests in the world but That's certainly the crazy. largest rain, rainforest in the united states right mm-hmm. so it's actually amazing we, we uh drove through there we're certainly not doing a very good job of being uh touristy enough and driving down to the jungle it's probably about 45 minutes from our house but the leaves there were the largest leaves i've ever seen like the-
1: ever. like the size of sheets
0: right so julie and i Incredible. you know you guys probably know her from columbus ohio and You'd, you know, go to wherever you're going to go to buy your house plants and your house plants would be, you know, hopefully they live. And so you'd maybe buy a fern or you'd ever maybe buy. Well, so this is where those things are from. And Naturally, so when you yeah. go, when you drive around, especially in the jungle, but really most places where there's, you know, nice looking landscaping and whatnot, you're going to see ferns that are the size of like, I don't even know, small houses basically. And you're, the yeah. leaves on some of the plants that so just would have been normal, you know, pick it up the grocery store house plant that maybe mm. grows to be mm-hmm. about the size of a, I don't even know what, a football. Here they size, they, they grow massive and you just like, what the hell? And it's the exact same species the exact same plant, it's just that here it's obviously in its, it's own, versus being yeah. in a little pot someplace. And actually, that kind of, you know, that's an interesting uh, correlation or interesting connection between our topic today, because mm-hmm. people generally speaking really only do grow to the size of the pot. Oh, did you see that connection? Come mm-hmm. on, I get crap. That was that. good, that especially was good. on the fly. Very right, I know, very good. It's the True. coffee, it's kicking in. Yeah, but so that's, that is a fact, though. People only grow to the size yeah. of the pot that they choose to plant themselves in. True. What most people don't realize is unlike a plant, they can choose their own pot. And that's the mm-hmm. problem that most people. I think are plagued with is they're thinking that um, ultimately, and this we're going to get back to our points that we were talking about. And the topic of the t- uh, call is this is part three it's yes, called we're
1: talking about never ever say these things to yourself delete delete not allowed to say it
0: right these are all the little sort of subconscious little snipes we make against ourselves that make it so we never leave the tiny little pot in which most of us were born in remember this statistic guys it is very fascinating something like 95 percent of all americans are born and die within the same 20 mile radius to the exact same spot now maybe some of them took some tri- trips and they'll you know in 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 between those two significant you know, days of being born and dying, but unfortunately, most people they never get outside of that their own little pot. They never get side of their outside of their own little environment, and so they're stuck for their entire lives in an echo chamber that's repeating the same limiting beliefs about what they're capable of in life. Um, I hope that doesn't offend any of you, because we didn't know that until we started experiencing that personally, and then we certainly experienced it through all the coaching calls. Coaching calls are the most cathartic thing you could possibly ever experience in far, as far as helping people work out their own problems after you've done about 100,000 one-on-one calls. Yeah. We've done more than that each. You know, Jillian and I have been doing one-on-one coaching. I don't think there's anyone that's done as many coaching calls as us in the industry. Definitely I, I pretty much can guarantee you there isn't. Yeah, But... Yeah, so it's cathartic where you sort of like you someone brings a problem to a call and maybe a lot of times frankly it's the same, you know, same problems that people have, but other times they're more complex and they're kind of intertwined personal and business and you work those problems out with people and hey, guess what? Maybe 5 years later you've got the same challenge and you've already helped somebody through it, so you just saved yourself the learning curve, you know, because you helped somebody else through that same problem. And and really guys, at the end of the day, that's why coaching is such a blessing and we love doing it. It's our it's really our life's calling. I'm hesitant to say it's our passion because it's really not. We're going to talk about the fallacy of believing you have to be passionate about something to be successful. But we would love the opportunity to have you guys become coaching clients. At least consider the fact that in this changing market, what else are you going to do if you don't hire somebody that's going to get you through this long kind of rickety bridge from the old world to the new world? I was listening to something today from an author. I mean, I, I think his guy is pretty undisputed as being a, a real Go to experts. Name is Jim Records, and I was actually I was watching a video, and he was talking about um, really what's happening in the economy from an economist's perspective, but not just an economist's perspective, but somebody who can sort of model out what's going to come next. You could see how that's Tim nerdy stuff, and it was great. I, you know, I, I, it's fantastic. I'm mean, going to probably buy his new book, but one of the things I learned from that specific video was that he's already saying we're in a depression mm-hmm. and it's going to stay, we're going to stay in this uh, economic cycle for, he said, at least five years. Um, and in, during that time, the, there's going to be more new business. It's exactly what Julian and I've been saying is what mm-hmm. I'm saying to you. There's going to be new, more new businesses that are going to form. There's going to be more, there's going to be a, essentially an explosion of creativity. You're going to see all these um, people that would have never been able to, you know, essentially be... Incredibly successful if they were trying to do so in the old world. You know, the old world was only like what four months ago, but that will find their place in the new world. And it really is, it's an experience that all of you guys can share in if you're willing to move forward with the understanding, at least opening your minds to the fact that you do have to learn new things for the new market. And once you do, once you know how to help people and once you're versatile enough to change on the fly sometimes and be able to, you know, it's the old toolbox analogy, right? You're walking into a listing presentation and, you know, you have your you know, typical hammer and your screwdriver. Well, what if all of a sudden it requires a wrench? What if all of a sudden it requires all kinds of specialized tools that you don't have, let alone know how to use? Well, you're going to find yourself, your world's getting smaller and smaller because you're going to find fewer and fewer people that just need the old hammer and wrench to solve the problem. And if you don't know how to use the other tools, let alone if you don't have them, you'll quickly find yourself irrelevant. You might find like right now, you might find, you know, maybe 6 or 7 out of 10 people want to do business with you just off your, you know, what you know and your personality and what you bring to the market. Well, in the new market without you updating your skill set, you might be lucky if you find one person out of 10 that essentially will be able to do business with you because you don't know how to, you know, essentially help them. And a lot of times the help, interestingly enough, isn't just the transactional, you know, A to B, fill this form out and then that form. It's actually psychological Mm -hmm. because a lot of the, psychology of a changing market just like all of you guys just like us you know it's scary it's it's like oh my gosh I, you know, i have to recreate myself i have to kind of be starting to challenge myself and think bigger thoughts what is it in, and we always start by the way and we have our coaching clients start write a list of the things you absolutely know for sure like with regards to your business, write down all the things you absolutely positively – you die on the tallest of hills because you're so sure you're right about those things and then challenge every single one of them because what happens is when you think you're right about something, it's it's going to automatically basically uh, keep you from seeing where your blind spots are. So start with all the things you think you're absolutely positive about and assume that none of those things will be relevant in 12 months now most of them will hopefully but if you start with the premise that most of them won't then it's going to open your mind to where you might be having as our good friend elon musk likes to call it your threat vectors right (laughs) isn't that basically it It yeah so if you are interested in learning more about our coaching program just text the word harris h-a-r-r-i-s to 31996 text the word harris h-a-r-r-i-s to 31996 and when you do we're going to text you back just as a way of saying thanks we're going to text you back some books to download the real estate treasure map um, and a whole bunch of other books, too. So, and the Real Estate Treasure Map is your fill-in-the-blank business plan. Your 90-day massive action plan is there. So just go ahead and text the word HARRIS to 31996. And Julie, I believe we are on point number nine.
1: You got it. And point number nine, remember, the topic is never, ever say these things to yourself. So this is the continuation of what we started a couple of podcasts ago. Get caught up if you haven't been. So point number nine is I need to form a big team or the market won't take me seriously. What are your thoughts on that one?
0: Well, that is um, a belief that started basically back in the '90s, and we're going to start seeing the other side of that. And it's so funny how so many people jumped on the team bandwagon. I know. And I'm going to cut through. I'm going to cut through all the bullshit, and I'm going to tell you guys why that's become so prolific. And it's not because it's what's the best. It's not the best thing for agents. And I realize that many of you are following this team thinking that because that's what everyone's told you. And let's just you and I be honest, okay? You guys entered into this business, and many of you did not have a business background. You may have read some books. You may have you know followed some gurus on YouTube. But, and granted, some of the free education and the books you've read have been fantastic. But you have really no way of benchmarking whether the business information you're getting is valid or not. And I'm going to give you guys the ultimate filter when you're trying to decide what to listen to and what not to, or frankly, what to read or who to pay attention to. Are they leading with profit with their conversations? And the answer with the team gurus, of which there's now a plenty, mm-hmm. is no. And the reason is, is because there's no, there's really virtually no profit in teams, especially when the market starts to change. So back when Julie and I started selling real estate, and this was over 25 years ago, this is when the team model was really starting to scale. A guy named Howard Britton through Star Power that was the name of his company, started to actually, you know, create systems around um, the teams. And, uh, you know, someone you guys know the name, Diana Kokoska, who essentially started working over at Keller Williams and a whole bunch of other people that uh, were essentially, uh, their ideas were germinated and they were essentially created and, and built upon within the Star Power thing. They then shared those ideas with the uh, uh, Keller Williams and its formidable years. Gary's book, "The Millionaire Real Estate Agent," all those ideas are just basically mostly repackaged ideas that were uh, taught on Star Power. Virtually none okay. of those were original thoughts. And I actually talked with Gary Keller about this before, and he had, it, he admits it, and it, he knows it's true and who cares? It's fine, right? Ideas are an evolution of the ideas that came before and every time it gets a little bit better, hopefully. But the difference is, is the teams back then were not predicated on providing buyer leads for buyer's agents and the commissions were more. And there are a whole bunch of other factors that made it so. Teams back then, you actually could make a profit, especially off the buyer side. Well, sides.
1: there was no opportunity really to buy leads. There was no nope. Trulia or Zillow. Well, or you Roll could buy them through and postcards yeah, or stuff like that. Yeah, but it wasn't like the that. same. It wasn't nope. like buying impressions and seeing how it would go. Yeah.
0: Some you guys now pay like the what you you get a referral Woohoo, i'm getting a referral but you don't actually have you've never done the math on how much money you're actually paying for that referral i we had a i actually had somebody text me and we were having a conversation about a specific should i take a referral type question and i worked out the math with them it would have worked out to be a ten thousand dollar gross commission but get this listeners after all the fingers that were in the pie the agent would make about twenty five hundred bucks and I told yeah. them not to take – just don't take the referral. Oh, Tim, what are you talking about? Then they'll lose the potential referrals from that agent. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But how much time are they not going to have wasted where they could go out and get business, which is going to be you know, four times as much profitable? They go out and get four transactions yeah. following our coaching system. And then they'll have four transactions, get a lot more referrals from it. Oh, and by the way, what makes you so sure – that that agent or that lead that was with the relocation company in this case will even be in a position to send you referrals because they're probably not going to be there long enough. Anyway, so you guys get the point. Drill down when you're hearing people share ideas with you and when you're trying to analyze something, the ultimate filter is what's the profit? What is the profit? And if you hear people saying, and this is, again, this is really a, a heinous lie that's told to agents. Is, oh, you have to keep on doing it and then eventually you're gonna be able to sell your company. No, you won't. Nobody buys teams. Nobody really buys brokerages. Brokerages don't sell for any multiple. Brokerages are just as bad as teams. The difference between a team and a brokerage is virtually nothing. Nowadays. Well, I mean,
1: here's the proof for our listeners ask yourself who you personally know. Who's gotten a big fat paycheck for their team.
0: Well, there's nobody. Nobody. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah, you, know, you might find a way to refer your business off to somebody that wants to you know, sort of take your business over and you could possibly make money from that. And there's those types of things. But for the most part, guys, the whole point of you running your real estate business or any business is to make profit. Some of you get confused about that because you hear all these modern day business gurus that are talking about the fact that you don't have to make profit, you can put your profits off to the future, you can well you guys are reading business books that are not written for you because they're written you're, they're written for people who are seeking investors to uh, essentially invest in their businesses. So if you are running a business that you could get a multiple. So like say for example, you had a business and your business had a million dollars in revenue, okay? and let's say in your in your particular sector let's say it was i don't know let's pick um something arbitrary. Let's say you're running a dry cleaning business, right? And let's say you had a million dollars in revenue. That business, if you put it for sale, would sell for hypothetically, I'm guessing, no more than two or three times probably net operating income. So if you had a business that had a million dollars in revenue, and let's say you had your, that business you made $300,000 a year, it's possible that that business would be worth, say, 600000 to $750,000, something like that. Maybe a lot less, I'm just guessing. That's that's basically a real, real basic way of thinking about multiples and then some businesses so some businesses trade off um, or essentially are, are valued off their net income and other businesses are valued off their gross income now there's all kinds of fancy accounting terms and all this but we're you know ebitda and gap accounting and we're not going to talk about any of that let's just keep it pure and so, net is the amount of money you have left over after you've paid all your, you know, expenses. And gross is the amount of money, obviously, that you, your business takes in every year. So let's go back and let's say, for example, a business that grosses a million dollars in revenue, and let's say that business is a tech company, right? And so, that tech company sector, it could just be, you know, a CRM, or it could be a software as a service. It could be now in that space, the business would trade for maybe, you know, four maybe seven times top-line. So you could have a business that earned a million dollars a year where you were making no profit. Matter of fact, you could even be losing money and burning money from private investors. And you could be making no profit. You could actually be losing money. But because of the sector that the business is in, the market would say, well, that business is worth $5 or the business is worth $7 You see? You guys see the difference? And so there's all these business gurus. And what they do is they cater to the specific that type of crowd where the businesses are going to be essentially able to trade at a multiple. Your real estate business does not trade at a multiple. Your team does not trade at a multiple. Your brokerage does not trade at a multiple. It trades at less than earnings. So you're essentially looking at businesses that have no value. So the only profit or the only way, like getting rich, you don't get rich selling real estate is the punchline. You get rich with reinvesting the profits from having sold real estate, which most of you won't have enough profit to ever reinvest it so you never get rich. You guys get it? Add teams. Now, why is it that brokers in the industry want you guys to build teams? What's the real reason? Do consumers give a rat's ass? No, they do not. Do agents give a rat's ass? Yes, they do because it makes them feel proud because they built a team. But who ultimately is pressuring you to build a team and how do they benefit from it? I want you to think about this. Assuming your filter is, as suggested, profit and knowing if maybe you don't know and you want to have a free coaching call with me and talk about this. You can just you know go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com, and we will help you with the math. If you're a real estate broker, if you're Keller Williams, for example, right, and the hardest job in any real estate brokerage is recruiting. They have all kinds of little enlightened-sounding names for it, but at the end of the day, it's recruiting. That's the hardest job. Team leads and all that are supposed to recruit agents. That's what they get you know, paid to do. Well, it's a hard job because you have to do actual work to recruit agents. You have to prospect them, you have to get them in appointments, you have to tell them why they want to leave your brokerage or their brokerage for another brokerage. It's real work, right? So what the uh, industry has figured out a way to do is kind of trick all of you guys into thinking, well, you know what, Julie, you're super successful. Congratulations. You sold 30 houses. You know what? You need to hire an assistant. Mm -hmm. You need to start building your team. Yeah. You need to follow the seven steps and get to the seventh level and walk down this golden path and somehow get to the the next step, right? Right. So and that's what a lot of you guys do because well hell why would these people not tell me the truth and bob and betty or you know they've done it and all these other people are done it look all the people getting awards and plaques and they have all formed teams and well no one ever talks about net income i don't know you know this tim and julie they're talking like crazy people right now i've never heard anyone well no one does talk about net income in real estate because they don't want you guys to know what a crappy ass business model forming a team is well so the broker goes huh if I can get all these agents, ambitious agents like the lovely Julie Harris, to somehow think that she has to form a team in order to be deemed as successful, I have now figured out a crafty way to get a whole bunch of other people doing the hardest job in real estate brokering, which is uh, sponsoring agents or you know recruiting right, right, right. agents. I've just formed... All these little teams are in my brokerage and all these little teams now are doing the recruiting right. for me. And my team. in my brokerage, right. And my brokerage continues to grow and I don't actually have to do any of the recruiting or as much recruiting myself. And that is the biggest reason why. And look, if you're a big franchise and you're a big proponent of teams and you're doing the math, well, you know, somebody joins and they pay a, Julie, we can hear that. Somebody joins and, and they pay a annual, you know, a licensing fee or they pay some kind of annual cost. To be part of the team, they're they're gonna uh, basically they're gonna have to pay like three thousand dollars a year. So if you are uh, you know a, an ambitious agent you know, like our Julie Harris example, and you add three agents to your team, and you know that means that every year there's going to be some sort of three thousand dollar fee that's going to pass back to the mothership. Do You guys get how all this works? This is this is basically the slippery slope that forming a team is. And then here's the other thing. You say, Tim, what are you talking about? Don't you know about delegation? You have to form a bit. Ba- okay, there is a book. You guys should read it. It was back from the 90s, really from the late 80s, called The E Myth. You guys should read that book because that is a lot of what the Howard Brinton people and thus the Keller Williams people based their premise on. You delegate, you essentially form a team. As this has all become sort of widely accepted modern zeitgeist, you're supposed to. In order to have a successful business, you're supposed to have a team of specialists who each do their individual jobs. You guys know what I'm talking about. But here's the bitter truth of how it actually works. You go from basically spending your time putting deals together. And look, we're not, we're not uh, anti-team. Don't get me wrong here. We're pro-team, but we're pro-profitable team. And that's what we teach in our coaching business. We're not going to tell you to add a bunch of buyer agents and start adding um, buying buyer leads just for the sake of doing transactions. That's where you guys get caught in the snare, this team snare. We're going to do the math and we're going to make decisions based on what's going to create the most profit for you. You have to have a profit-driven business. Otherwise, you're running a non-profit business, which is going to end up making it so you're going to toil away years, months, and you're going to end up with nothing to show for it other than basically a bunch of plaques and awards on the wall. That is the bitter truth about the team bullshit that's been perpetuated with intensity, especially over the last, really, 15 years.
1: Well, it's a hamster wheel, isn't it? Exactly. In order to feed your team, you've got to do more transactions, more units, all the time. You've got to feed the, you know...
0: So if you study the most successful and most and by success we mean most profitable agents in the country do they have teams? They might claim they have teams but what they have is it'll be like look Jade uh, Jade Mills right? I had her on the podcast and she's unbelievably successful out in LA. Just a fantastically like one of the royalty of real estate, right? Does she have a team? I asked her that when I was interviewing her. She sort of paused and she said no. And the reason that she paused is because saying you don't have a team is almost like it having a team and believing in that whole thing has become like a religion. And anybody that forces you to question your beliefs about a team somehow you are not part of their group, and they're going to do everything they can to make you feel you know you're they're going to ostracize you, and that's what that's what happens. So. Here's the moral of the story. If you want to run a truly profitable real estate practice, we do want you to have a transaction coordinator. We do want you to have someone to help you as far as essentially perform the administrative tasks to service your sellers. But as far as forming buyer agents and adding buyer agents and then just giving them leads, that's where you're going to lose all your money. That's the stupidest way to build a business. Now, why did the teams work back in the day? They did work because... The teams were hiring agents and the agents had to do their own lead generation. Can you imagine nowadays if you wanted to form a team? They could immediately. And, and you said, okay, well, I'll hire you. You can be part of my team. We're going to provide you support. We're going to you know, train you up and you can. But
1: you have to generate. And,
0: but you have to generate your. No agent's going to join that team. No agent's no, going to join that brokerage. Never. And that's the same thing that's happened to brokerages. You guys have all been caught in this paradigm that you're supposed to provide everything to your agents. And still, the failure rate in real estate—18 months, 85% of all agents fail. So, do you think providing them leads and all this, you know, handholding has done them any good? What should have been happening is we should have been training them up so they could be self-sufficient. And ultimately, when we tell you and we're giving you this, you know, point that you have to be. Form a team, which is point number nine, be deemed as successful. Look, in some in some worlds, yeah, you're right, you do. So if your goal is to have a bunch of plaques and awards and people to applaud you and you to walk around like you're something that you know in your heart you're not, then yeah, that's your goal. If your goal is to be famous and not be rich where your money works for you, you no know longer work for your money, form a team. Do the biggest team you can. Why not? Yeah, you know, hire the good, if your that's blimp. That's yeah, Exactly, that's your thing. You're more into ego and you're more into recognition than you are into profit. But
1: don't come crying to us when the market changes
0: well which is most of what they do i That's mean last right. time when the market changed we had some of the biggest teams that came to us and they yep. came to us because they did not know how to essentially make profit out of their teams because they gotten so addicted to spending the money yep. to provide the leads and their egos had become so entrenched with the idea i have a team of 22 people or i have yeah. a team of 15 people it wasn't about the profit it was we sold 400 houses last year well Zippity-doo-dah, well, fantastic. How much profit did that. you make?
1: Yeah, when we were deciding to go, okay, so we've had those experiences. We're not just shooting this over the bow. It's because we've known people who have done hundreds of transactions who have very little profit. Yeah, they've got some plaques, that's fine. And you know, here's the thing, Tim, to your earlier point, it's not that we're anti-team per se. We're anti-non-profitable team. That's we right. coach teams. But we have very serious conversations about how they're spending their money, what they're getting for their expenditure, how they're handling the leads, the fact that they have to actually coach their people how to well let's give know, an example I Here, mean, there's lots of agents that have crap tons of leads but they don't know what to do with them so here's catch.
0: one of the rules and when, when, if we're coaching your team right the first rule is there are no riders there are only rowers <gasps> hell oh, dare you suggest that yes how accountable of you every right every single person on your team or whatever you want to call them they have to basically be profit producers and it has to be direct profit for example You cannot have – every single staff member has to have a profit and loss statement on them, even support staff. Support staff have to be able to pay for themselves through doing, for example, BPOs. It's not enough for your transaction coordinator just to close transactions. They actually – if you're paying your transaction coordinator, let's say – I don't know, $3,000 a month, they have to do an equal number of VPOs every single month to cover that $3,000. In a market like the one we're entering into, trust me, guys, you do not want any riders. You only want rowers. And you probably have, it's in everywhere you look because you're caught in the echo chamber of, Tim, you're already talking about, I listened to this guru and that guru, and they all told me I'm supposed to form these big teams. Guys, Listen when the real estate transactional volume slows down which it's going to do when there's going to when there is depreciation in the marketplace which there will be next year well, how are you going to support your team how are you going to just throw more buyer leads at them they're all going to leave anyway so while there's still time let's have a real conversation about the smartest thing you can be doing right now to make it so will you not just survive through this transitioning market you thrive because of the transitioning market do consider texting me directly if you want to have that conversation 512-758-0206 well that was a lot on point number nine
1: well I was but let's you know, go point number 10. yeah you got it so point number 10 is let's see branding here's another dark hole right branding will magically make people want to do business with me and the thought is let's compare reputation versus branding what is branding anyway let's define (sighs) well
0: julie just said it right so what here's the thing what is branding it's it doesn't even mean anything does it what does branding mean here's a quiz (laughs) Okay, I'll give you a pop quiz. Branding, number one, it means reputation. Branding, number two, it means your logo. Branding, number three, it means what people feel about you when they think of your company. Right, I mean, we can keep on going with all these slippery, sliding, non-defining terms, but here's how it's sold. Here's how branding is sold to you. Everyone tells you that you need branding. You need to have your own brand, 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 brand. Why do people like to sell branding? Now, look, I'm not debating that you do, as your business grows, You do need to have some resemblance of personalization for the sake of differentiating yourself in the marketplace So if that's what you're calling branding i'm all in but here's how it's sold You guys are sold to believe that you need to have all this fancy branding because it's going to essentially fill in the gaps on your skills What do I mean? You think you're buying branding, or you think you're buying a good reputation through your branding. That's it. So if you you're conflating the two words, and they want you to conflate the two words because they want you to think that if you do all this fancy this and the fancy that and the brochures and the videos and the this, that, and the other thing, that somehow that is going to form a reputation for you that's going to essentially replace the way a real reputation is formed, which is through having helped a lot of people with a lot of real estate transactions. And what's even worse is you believe that you think the branding is actually going to bring you real estate transactions and it does not the branding will not bring you real estate transactions that is just an elegant lie how do i know that because look how many how much money is spent every single year on branding companies and it would be wonderful to see it, have them track all these agents to see how many of the agents are actually making a profit now i 100 percent understand if your litmus test if your filter is not profit if you're in this business to run a non-profit and the branding's making you feel good because you've always wanted to look like you're, you know, in Shark Tank on CNBC. And you want to look like a rock star and have pictures taken leaning on somebody else's Bentley. And that's your brand. Well, go for it. But that's not about running a business. That's not about making a profit. That's about ego. That's about narcissism. That's about a whole bunch of stuff that never leads to profit.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely. So it's unsustainable for one. And it's not really all that authentic until you've earned it with your actual reputation. So I think it's a little tall hat, no cattle. And the thing is, you know, when you have a lot of for sale signs that turn into contract or pending signs that then turn into sold signs, that's your reputation is the actual work. And then that person talks to their colleague at work and they refer you and one thing turns into the next. That's the way you earn your actual reputation. So
0: arguably the most valuable brand on planet Earth is Ferrari. You know, the car manufacturer. That is in every sort of test that's ever been done. It's the most recognizable, most... Think about my point here, guys. The Ferrari. Ferrari, the prancing horse, the red, the whole thing. That has has more brand appeal. More, like, people associate that with, you know, all kinds of good things. It's not just
1: a car brand. It's seen as a lifestyle brand.
0: Right. It seems... Yeah, exactly. So they basically made... Okay, now here's the thing. What if Ferrari's cars sucked? What if Ferrari's cars were pieces of crap? right? What if Ferrari just made a car that, and in, in Ferrari's cars are, you know, are great, but what if they didn't? What if the Ferrari product actually was inferior? Would the, would the brand make a difference? Oh, what? What? Hold on. So th- what Julie just said is the only answer. The way you form an everlasting brand is you form a reputation of somebody who's very successful at helping people solve their problems. And then the brand naturally follows your success, you can't skip the step. And that's the lie that you guys are believing that you can spend a bunch of money on branding. It's gonna essentially replace the you know, hard earned reputation. It does not work that way.
1: Oh, that's it. So do you wanna do another point or? Yeah, let's go to the next okay. point.
0: All right. So We're on a roll. <laughs> we are,
1: sorry, I have to put on my Coffee glasses. kicked in. All right, so here's a fun one. I hate scripts, I can't do scripts. They're not me, they don't sound like me. I don't wanna sound like a salesperson. I hate scripts.
0: This is your wheelhouse, sister. Yeah, well,
1: here's the thing. What is a script? Okay, so when you say that, remember our topic, things you're not allowed to say to yourself. When you catch yourself saying that to yourself, why is that? It's because your perception of a script is some kind of memorized sentence that doesn't really sound like you, and you have to do it exactly that way, or you suck. Well, okay? let me ask and there's people that teach it that way. Well, let me ask
0: you a question, Julie. You know, yeah. you give me an example of a professional that doesn't use a script.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't even name any. They, they all, I mean, when you take a plane flight, all of that's scripted. Thank goodness. Right. When you, I mean, even when you go to the doctor, they've got a script, they hand you a checklist, that's their pre-qualification. But isn't that the everything. very
0: definition of a professional, yeah. somebody who follows a script? Yes,
1: and isn't that ironic that agents love to complain how their their clients or customers abuse them because they're not treated well? Well, it's because you guys don't treat it like a real business.
0: So why, don't, why don't do you know. think agents don't follow scripts ultimately? I think
1: some of it's ego. I think some of it's fear. I think some of it is misunderstanding of what a script is meant to be and how to actually use it because you haven't spent enough time to really understand it. All a script is, is a series of logical questions that dig deep enough to find out somebody's motivation, time frame, and lead to a logical close using what's important to them. That's pretty logical, right? Yeah. That's just a series of questions. It helps you direct the conversation. It saves you a lot of time. And it focuses on your prospect instead of focusing. You know, it's funny what agents do when they don't have scripts. They always make it all about them. You need to work with me because I've got this award and that award. That's right. And because I know these people and because, you know, I've got a a drip system.
0: Right. Right. Well, but ultimately that's really the the thrust of it, right? So if you're uh, essentially, and guys, listen, we do have scripts. We do want you to memorize the scripts, but what we really want you to do is internalize our scripts and then personalize our scripts. Which
1: you can't do until you've actually studied them. Right. You can't skip a step and go to, right to personalization.
0: Exactly. Again, and that's what weak agents do. That's what weak salespeople right. do. They don't actually understand the reason that you ask. Like our scripts, as Julie just said, are conversation outlines. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. One question leading to the other leading to the other leading to the other that results in a positive outcome for you and the client. That's what a script truly is. It's a bunch of questions that are logically thought through that result in a positive outcome, right? But what you guys will do is your egos will say, I can't read that, those aren't my words, those aren't this, the other thing. And you never get to the point where you've actually perfected the script.
1: And you know what the problem with that is? These agents that bash scripts are the same agents that complain about commission cutting or commission objections. Because if you don't have a good script that shows your USPs, your unique sales proposition that shows exactly why they should use you, then the consumer is left with only one way of leveling the playing field, really two, okay? Which is how you guys lose listings. Overpricing and under-commissioning. Yep. That's it, because they don't know how to make a choice other than just thinking about the money of it, which is two things, what the price is gonna be and what you're gonna charge. So that's why you get the commission objection.
0: So, Julie, everything we're saying right now is a script because we've said it a million times before <laughs> That's true. I mean literally we've said everything we're saying nothing's original Yes. You know, I think I've said one thing original it was earlier and I don't remember what I said <laughs> the, oh no oh, the, like, po- the potted plant the yes thing, that it. was original that was good that we'll, was it. we'll use
1: that again it'll that, turn into a script exactly that was the, ori- was the first
0: original thought I probably had in a month The moral of the story, guys, the takeaway should be here is you have to use scripts if you want to be professional. If your ego tells you, I can't read that, they're not my words, I somehow magically, even though my last job was being a school teacher, can somehow write better scripts, you're wrong.
1: Or worse, decide that you don't need scripts somehow because you will magically overcome it. See how that's working out. Well,
0: actually, even worse than that are the people that basically take a little of this and a little of that and make their own script, even though they they have no background, no sales background. Even if you do have sales background, you don't have sales background selling real estate. If you have sales background selling real estate, you don't have sales background selling real estate in a declining market. You guys get the point? So why would you work so extra? Why would you work so damn hard and risk so much failure not to follow a script? You really got to drill down and be introspective about that. Look, nobody likes being told what to do i was just thinking about Zoe. okay i'm gonna tell you guys a funny oh, no. story
1: <laughs> throwing me end of the bus it's okay. yes i am oh it's so right.
0: funny funny oh, for God. you all right this really happened yesterday so with julie and i home office and zoe's you know she's six and a half actually six and she's pushing seven now she's on the she's on the down slope to seven right mm-hmm. and she's um and her and, her and uh, Julie had a blowout fight yesterday, you know, as much as you can, right? And so she's blah, blah, blah. You know, Zoe, man, oh, my God, that kid could, yep. oh, like nobody else. She's got the loudest piercing voice. Not shy. And she, she's not shy. And she has all emotions and tears and hair and just mad it looked like something she from, was pissed yeah she was she looked she looked like an old school muppet you know what was that muppet that used to play the drums with the animal. red hair yeah she looked like an <laughs> animal she was just really so like pissed animal. off so she julie gives her a timeout in her room and 15 minutes to zoe like a thousand years you know yeah. so it's 15 minute timeout, and then julie gets on a coaching call and so i go into zoe's room and zoe's you know she's off in a corner she's got a table you know a little table set by a window and she's drawing a picture in a tablet and I went in there to, you know, make sure she's okay. And, you know, mom and dad will love you, the whole data routine. And, and you know, it, she was she's so freaking cute. I can't help myself. <laughs> so I go in there and um, she's, you know, off in her corner doing this little drawing. And, you know, her face is still flustered. Her hair is still a mess. And I went in there and said, you know, tell her, hey, Zoe, you know, the reason that mom and dad sometimes have to, you know... We have to help you understand right from wrong and how to treat people. And, and she just stared at me. She, she's got she these so really mad. she's got these really bushy brown eyebrows. She just stared at me. And I saw she was drawing something. And I said, Zoe, what are you drawing? And she goes, and then she pulled it closer. She put it like right against her little chest. And she goes, I don't want to show you. I go, okay, well, why not? You can show, Dad. And she goes, I'll show you when it's done. Okay, <laughs> okay. Zoe, got it. Okay. I'll show me when it's done, sweetie. Dad I loves you. And then I had to get back to work. And so... <laughs> the picture she was drawing, and you guys will love this, was it? Cause so Julie comes in off her coaching call. Then, did Zoe give you the picture or did you ask for you it? You
1: told me about it, and then I discovered it. Oh, I
0: told you about this experience yes. I had, then you mm-hmm. went to look at it. Mm-hmm. All right, so this picture was a picture of Zoe. and you She finished? had
1: drawn herself, and she had a little t shirt on herself that said, The boss.
0: No, the, the boss of the, the house. The boss of the house. Right.
1: And then a title at the top saying, Zoe is boss. (laughs) So how about that for a power struggle? Yeah. There you are.
0: How did we get on that? I don't know. What was the spin into that story? <laughs>
1: Probably uh, not being coachable, perhaps. I don't know. I don't
0: know. That was so funny, oh though. You want to do another point? We,
1: we've made peace since then. But yeah, we, exactly. Yes, this is why we have Any one. Parent,
0: we're always open to more parenting suggestions. If Please. You guys, we, SOS. We, we've, we've mastered the bribes and the threats.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, she's got her own script going, doesn't yes, she? Yes, she does. Okay, so let's see. So, Well, so scripts. And yes, we do have scripts for pretty much everything. Everything from... Prospecting to pre-qualifying, presenting, negotiating, closing. One of the common things we do on Premier Coaching is uh, clients will have a situation. I call it situational scripts. And so we'll talk about, that one canned right there is next. So Ah. we'll talk about, you know, here's the situation, what should I say? And of course, all of our Premier calls are live, but I record them so that I can help students with some particular situational scripts, which almost always are based on you know, inspections, appraisal, financing, negotiating, extending contracts back and forth with agents, or just simply getting their clients to do the right thing. So there are scripts for everything and I help you personalize those.
0: So so next point. Next
1: point, which I think is 11, quote, canned presentations just aren't me. I can't do them. Now this is related to the previous point about scripts. Canned presentations. Now, again, let's define that. A canned presentation is a presentation that has a basic structure that you do time and time again. But a canned presentation, of course, has some nuances to it.
0: So let's define this so they understand. So most of you do not have listing presentations. Those of you who do have listing presentations have presentations that were provided by your broker, which is all about the broker, right? And
1: also it's like everybody else in your brokerage's presentation. I'm going to
0: give you a little secret that you will discover after you've been in real estate for about two or three years. And remember, there's an 85% failure rate after 18 months. So I'm hoping you guys take this to heart and remember what I'm telling you because there's so much ingrained into this very true statement at the end of the day ready for this nobody cares really that much who your broker is they only care about the services you can provide to them and if you think joining a specific brokerage is going to give you an advantage in the marketplace though I suppose there are examples where that might be true, we've continuously seen where it's not true. And I'll give you an example. Like I have, you know, we have a lot of Manhattan coaching clients. We have a lot of California expensive market coaching clients in Beverly Hills and all the rest of it, right? And they would have argued that, oh my gosh, if you want to be in, you know, Manhattan, you have to be one of the five families or the six families. And they refer to the other brokerages that way. There's Corcoran and there's, you know, Douglas Elliman and all these big, you know, stoic Mm -hmm. brands. Nobody could ever open up another brokerage. No one could ever basically penetrate and get any market share, blah, 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 blah. Well, in comes Compass. And what does Compass do in Manhattan? Compass becomes the biggest threat to these old brokerages that have been in business forever, thus proving the point that nobody gives a rat's ass what your your brokerage is. They care what you know. They care what you can do. And the longer you're in real estate, you know, it's it just it go to anybody who's been in the business for like like I said, three to maybe five years and ask them the last time they got either a buyer or a seller because of the brokerage they were associated with nobody does, and you won't either. And so if you think that your brokerage's job is, their job is to support you, their job is to train you to a certain extent, their job is to help you light, form your your, your campfire, help you light your campfire. Maybe they'll help you keep your campfire lit uh, lit for a certain amount of time. But at the end of the day, it's your job to make that into a bonfire. And if you can't do that, you're not going to make it in real estate, or by the way, anything else. So the broker's true job is to provide the infrastructure for you to be um, you know safe and successful but if you really want to do something exceptional you're going to have to learn and go get your own wood and how to make the fire bigger and how to keep the fire lit how to keep so that's where a lot of you get confused about what a broker's role is and so when we're saying for example it's important that you used a canned presentation what we're telling you to do is have presentations similar to scripts for everything. Have a listing presentation. We, of course, have a turnkey listing presentation, which you guys can, yes, personalize with your own personal stuff, and then you use it. We teach you how to use it. We have a canned by canned again. It's templated. It's done for you. Pre-listing pack, a canned buyer presentation. Every single presentation that you might need. So, So here's the power of a presentation. When I was selling real estate with Julie, We used to some days go on two and sometimes three listing appointments because we used to do a lot of good proactive lead generation doing exactly the things we teach you guys how to do. So we go on these presentations and sometimes by the second presentation, but always by the third presentation when we had those long days, trust me when I tell you I did not want to be at that seller's house. (laughs) Yeah. Had it not been, I did not know what to say, did not know how to think, I was so burned out, my face hurt from smiling, right? So in those instances, had I not had a canned or a pre-prepared presentation, my presentation would have been awful. By, doing, by having a canned or prepared presentation, I just said and did the exact same thing over and over again like any professional does. So it's critical that you accept the fact that that if you're going to run a real business and make consistent and have consistent, you know, results from your efforts, you have to do the same thing over and over again. That way you can quantify what's working and what's not. So if you have a different listing presentation every single time, there's no way for you, let alone someone who might be helping you like us as your coach, are going to know what's working and what's not. So by using a canned presentation that we know works in all marketplaces and all price ranges, we know that if you know, we'll go through it with you. We'll ask you questions. We'll make you present it. We'll challenge you like a seller might. And we're going to look to see where you're weak and hope you get better. That's what a coach does. You'll
1: never get better if you don't do it repetitively, right? right? Okay, so what's interesting about that is that agents who don't do that, I've had some of the funniest uh, you know, feedback, but it does make sense. I had an agent tell me not too long ago that they were so in over their head and they were so tired and so confused about what to say next with the seller and that two and a half hours had already gone by that he figured the only way he could get the hell out of there, this is a quote, the only way I could get the hell out of there is to just cut my commission and overprice it just so I could go home. that is an act of desperation at that point right that's because you don't have a canned presentation now that does not mean that you're saying exactly the same words exactly the same way to the same seller but it does mean you have a specific pattern and why do we give you a canned presentation so to speak with you know again memorize internalize personalize it's because sellers always have the same objections they always want the same they always say the exact same thing And 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 because we also know that they are unclosable If you have not had a great presentation, which handles their objections. It all
0: starts, guys, with even before you're at the seller's house. It starts with pre-qualifying them. And we teach you how to pre-qualify, right? But you have to ask these questions in a certain order. Like, I'll give you a really interesting little mind bender for you. Depending on your price range, probably 80% of all the buyers that are calling you about your new listing actually have houses to sell. Mm -hmm. But you guys never get to the conversation about the house they have to sell, because you're still focused on them being buyers. So we teach you how with three questions to root out every buyer call to see if they have a house to sell. Yes, we're telling you to pursue the buyer side, but obviously the listing side is where you want to be, because sometimes that could just very well be a neighbor who's calling to price check. But if you don't know how to pre-qualify, if you don't know how to ask them what their time frame is, what their motivation is. If you don't know how to ask if you're competing for the listing, isn't that wouldn't that be a good thing to know? What they think the house is worth, all of these things that we teach you, and that happens even before you send their pre-listing mm-hmm. pack. You know, the, worse
1: than that is some of these guys don't even call what they believe is only a buyer lead back. Right. Because they have so many buyers and they can't find inventory for them. They don't bother to call them back. Right. And which means of course there's no opportunity to ask them which home in the neighborhood do you plan on selling? You you think you're blowing off a buyer lead, you're actually blowing off a listing.
0: And what we teach you as part of our coaching program, what every single top producing agent on the face of the planet does is they get to the point where they're do- where they're prominently a listing agent and then they start referring off their buyers, not to team members, but they can refer their buyers off that don't have houses to sell to other agents that they trust and usually collect as much as a 35% referral fee. Now mm-hmm. the buyers that have houses to sell, maybe you handle those internally, maybe you don't. But the moral of the story is, is you have to be migrating all your best efforts to learning how to be a listing agent and that's what we teach all of you guys to do some of you guys are already doing the heavy lifting to become listing agents you just aren't asking the right questions because you don't know how to pre-qualify how many times have you had a buyer that you were working with just to find out that they ended up listing their house with somebody else because you never even pursued the listing because you didn't even know they had a house to sell or you knew they had a house to sell you just didn't know how to pursue the listing and we go on down the rabbit hole with all this too the pre-listing pack our pre-listing pack is designed to remove every single objection that you guys are living in fear of hearing from that seller when you're at, sitting across from at the kitchen table. Oh, by the
1: way, before they even say it.
0: Or you know, virtually on a Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the point of this the point of the pre-listing pack is to remove the Why would I list with you? Remove the objection of what's your commission? Remove the objection of what are you gonna do to sell my house? Remove the objection of tell me about your, you know, all the things that they'll ask you that you guys are living in fear of having asked. That's what the pre-listing pack does. It removes the fear. So when you're actually, assuming they read the pre-listing pack, when you're actually at the seller's house, the listing presentation whittles is whittled down to with touring the house a half hour or less. And you walk out the contract sign. And they thank you because they can see you are a professional because you followed an organized approach. Do you think the sellers want to spend any more time with you than they absolutely have to? They don't. And so by being more professional, just we've had brand new listing agents or brand new agents join our coaching program. And Julie, you've experienced this. All you're, time. you're the head coach, mm-hmm. and where they'll take a listing from an experienced agent just because yes. they sent a pre-listing pack. That's
1: right. Tell a story, and, and because they've actually, you know, studied the scripts and the coaching calls that go with it, because they got a premier coaching and they know what they're doing. Okay, so what does the average agent actually do on a listing? And and this is also nobody really coaches you or teaches you. Your broker's not going to teach you this. So sometimes you do this by default. The reason you have, a tr- have trouble closing and winning, many of you, is because you don't handle objections until the end. You think that your presentation is covering all of your bases, and yet the whole time the seller or sellers are sitting there holding onto their objections, the unanswered questions in their mind, until the very end. They're not even listening to what you say until you get They talked. don't even care what they you're saying. They don't care. They're just waiting for you to stop talking About the love yourself of God. and your right.
0: broker and about your dog and your hobbies and whatever yes. virtue signaling charities and you're involved then, with.
1: at the end, where you're ready to close, what do they do? They smack you in the head with objections. And then you freak out. You tap dance. You try and handle it. Which, you know, sometimes comes out egotistical. Sometimes you don't even have an answer. Or
0: you get defensive and you walk out because they wouldn't agree to my price.
1: And then you say, well, I'll follow up. I'll call you next week. That's not closing. The definition of closing is a logical ending to a great presentation. A great presentation handles objections before they even open their mouth. So they can then listen to the rest of why they're going to hire you. It's very logical. And I remember when you and I had that aha moment, we were like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And the great byproduct of that is it massively shortens your appointment with them. And by the time you show up, when you've done all of the steps right, we do step, coach a seven-step listing process, okay? When you follow all seven steps, it's almost too good to be true.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: and I love it when agents come to the, the premier calls where they're like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, actually, well, I do. They talk about it. You <laughs> you know? I, see.
0: I read posts like that on our our members-only Facebook page all the time. Yeah, It
1: works like clockwork. Right. They're well, like, oh, yes, because you answered the question. So what's the definition of an objection? It's an unanswered question in the mind of the seller. Answer the question and move on. That way you can have a real conversation. But
0: that's what the pre-listing pack does that's for right. you. Before right? you get there. Before you get there. You don't want to be in the, se- in the situation where you're ever emotionally feeling like you're on your heels because that causes you to say and do dumb things. It does for everyone, right?
1: You can actually talk yourself out of a listing.
0: Right. Oh, I didn't take that because the condition was bad. Or I didn't take that listing because Uh they were friends with Betty Bebop from the country club or whatever. No. Right? You guys will make all these excuses. But the reason you didn't take the listing is because the seller chose somebody else because they thought the other somebody else was more competent. They outsold you. This is a competitive world, (laughs) right? Well, and
1: here's the thing that you guys really have to pay attention to. Because we know when the market is hot and homes are pretty much selling themselves, if we're being honest that the skills thing is not as important, but when there's a transitioning market and people get nervous, even your best past clients will secretly interview somebody against you. They're not gonna tell you because you're friends. Okay, that's when things really start to hit the fan. And they
0: don't want you knowing if they're experiencing some personal hardships because of the changing sure. market. And you're buddies with them. They don't want to have you be part of their personal problems because you probably are are part of the same center of influence as they are. And they don't want mm-hmm. you possibly gossiping about them. Which means
1: you, you might not even get the call in the first
0: place. Right, but do you guys see the fallacy in the whole? You know centers of influence and past client marketing thing when the business starts to change. These are all, we're telling you guys the stone cold truth about how the real world works. You guys either like what we're saying or you don't, but we're not gonna lie to you just to you know sell you something. It's not gonna happen. We're not gonna lie to you just to make you feel good. We're not gonna placate your fear of learning how to do the real work of real estate, you know, by and telling you that branding is gonna get you in the end zone. It won't. None of those words will ever cross our mouths. Now, those things all have a place in real estate. But it comes long after, if ever, once you've mastered basically how to be an absolutely fantastic, you know, your best version of yourself as a professional, you know, problem solver, a professional salesperson, which is what a salesperson is. So Julie, let's just hold the next points for next week.
1: Yes, you got it. Sounds good. And they're going into the weekend where they're supposed to be selling a lot of houses and helping a lot of people.
0: That's right. And so, holy tamale, you know, we went an hour.
1: Wow. We only had a lot of stuff to say.
0: Yes, because we were on a roll. That's right. Oh, and the (laughs) Zoe story. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> so did you
0: re- did you reclaim your throne as being the boss we'll of the house? let see
1: how this weekend goes.
0: That's right. I'm She's not sure nice you did. Today, I, I, I we'll think see. I saw her. I saw her testing you a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Seeing what she get away with.
1: She's like a dinosaur at Jurassic Park, trying to find the weak link.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. You let your guard down. I know. She's going to have you locked in a closet. She's going to be Mark giving Holberger. you... So here's my prediction. In a week, Julie's going to be having 15-minute timeouts, and Zoe's going to walk around with that shirt that says, I am the yeah, house boss. probably.
1: She's probably already <laughs> ordered it. She orders crap all the time on her
0: own. I know. <laughs> you guys have a fantastic weekend. We'll talk to you on a, on Sunday on our Sunday show. Thank you for continuing to make this the uh, number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals. And I am now bold enough to say, in the world, because I've seen our national awesome. our, our global stats. It's fantastic. Um, thank you for uh, what is it um, what's it called what's it called the, the uh, company that just gave us that big prize for one of the top three influential Inman? podcasts no, um, Inman did years ago but what was the other one? Oh, Motley Fool, Motley Fool yeah yes. they just uh, gave us a big prize for having one of the three most yes. influential awesome. podcasts and thanks for continuing to make Harris Rules on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble I kind of just put Barnes yep. and Noble with quotes around because I think that's they're right. just a website now sort of continue to make that the best seller yeah. uh, that's fantastic and we warned
1: you about the Sunday show it's not the same.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's Sunday's show. We have a whole bunch of doodle things we've been saving all week. That's right. So you guys have a fantastic day. Listen to all of our past podcasts go to Stitcher, go to iTunes, go to wherever your favorite podcast listing device is. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. Don't give us a wimpy four-star review. Come on now, you know better. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and do consider purchasing the book. And when you do, please give us a great rating and join the nearly 400 other five-star ratings on Amazon. In the meantime, you guys make it a great day and we'll talk with you anytime on our past podcasts.